Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're realising that uh, Paul's journeys involved him in a lot of hardship. And once again, yesterday in Thessalonica, we found him thrown into prison. We are in chapter 17 of Acts. But you made the point, this man was selfless. Yes, and uh, on he goes. When night fell, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. As soon as they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. As we know, that's their normal practice. The Bereans were more open to the gospel than the Thessalonians and received their message readily. Every day they examined the scriptures to verify what Paul said. Now, here you see Paul's approach to Jewish believers. He would prove to them from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Of course, an entirely different approach would have been used when he was talking to Gentiles because they would not be familiar with the Old Testament and with the Jewish scriptures. So verse 12, many Jews became believers together with prominent women and many Greek men. When the Thessalonian Jews heard that Paul was preaching God's word in Berea, they came and stirred up trouble there. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast with an escort, while Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Paul and those with him moved on to Athens. There the others left him and returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join them as soon as possible. Now, you see, it seems that at this point, Luke was not there because he's talking about they instead of we. And you find this for a period of of time that sometimes uh, Luke is with them and sometimes he isn't. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of pagan idols. In the synagogue, he debated with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks and preached openly to all in the marketplace. The God-fearing Greeks would have been those who had adopted the Jewish religion, although they were not born as Jews. A number of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers started to argue with him. What strange notion has this babbler picked up? Some asked, while others said, he seems to be promoting some foreign gods. They only said such things because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. Now, I've been talking in these last few days about how the gospel has to be communicated in a different way to different people of different cultures with different mindsets. And so now here is Paul who is having to deal with the current Greek mindset, Uh, um, a love of philosophy, a love of debate, of reason. And so he's he's having to uh, adapt the manner in which he communicates the gospel to this situation. So we read in verse 19, they brought him to a meeting of philosophers at the Areopagus and asked him, tell us about this new teaching you are giving. What you say seems very strange to us and we cannot understand what you mean. 
The Athenians and the foreign population in the city love to spend time doing nothing but debating the latest fashionable ideas. So for them, Paul was just preaching the latest fashionable idea. But of course, from Paul's point of view, this is the truth, this is life, this is the way of salvation. Paul stood to address the meeting and said, Men of Athens, it is obvious that you are very religious, for as I have walked around, I have observed carefully how many objects of worship you have. I even found an altar that bears the inscription to an unknown God. I am now going to tell you about this God whom you do not know. He is the God who created the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of both heaven and earth, but he does not live in a simple in a temple built by human hands. There is nothing men can do to meet his needs, for he does not have any. It is he who gives life to all men and breath to every living creature. Now, it's very interesting because I, I was making the point last week that in their presentation of the gospel, they don't simply talk about the imminence of God, the, the closeness of God, that God is our Father and he is always with us. They, they preach first the greatness of God, the transcendence of God, the almightiness of God. He is creator of heaven and earth and yet has revealed himself through Jesus Christ so that he can become our Father and we his children. And somehow this, this uh, note of the transcendence of God uh, is not preached in the way that it needs to be in this, these modern times. All the emphasis is on the imminence of God, and that's right, but we need, we need this revelation of the greatness of who it is uh, in whom we believe. Otherwise, we're not going to have faith in his power in the way that God intends. So, Paul continues, He created the first man from whom every nation of men has descended, so that now they inhabit the whole world. It is he who has determined when and where they should all live. His purpose in doing this was to encourage men to seek to know him, to reach out to him, although he is not difficult to find, as he is not far from each one of us. So this great transcendent God is also imminent. He is also close. He is also available. Because we live in the presence of this God, every move we make is known to him, and we are dependent upon him for our very being. Even some of your own poets have said that we are his offspring. Therefore, if we are his offspring, we should not think of God as one fashioned in gold, silver, stone, or any other image devised by a craftsman. For centuries God permitted such ignorance, but now he commands everyone to turn away from such ignorance and embrace the truth. And he has set a day when the entire world will be judged with justice by the man he has appointed the same man he has raised from the dead as proof of his intentions. Some treated this talk of resurrection from the dead with derision, but others told Paul, we want to hear more about this. Then Paul left the meeting. A number became believers on hearing more from Paul, among whom was Dionysius, who was a member of the council, and a woman called Damaris. So, the real intriguing, if you like, the new thing for these um, Greeks who loved these philosophical debates hinged around the resurrection of Jesus. And um, obviously, uh, this 
really got people thinking, engaged in conversation and debate and so on. And some of them would have met with Paul. Uh, that's clear from verse 32. They heard more about all this and a number became believers. He didn't have a violent reaction though, did he? He didn't have a violent reaction. No, you see, here's a different mindset. Just shows the difference. Yeah, this is, you know, we'll just debate and discuss and we're okay, well, we'll choose to disagree. We'll just wait for the next idea to come along. But there were those who really came under conviction of the Holy Spirit, saw their need of God, saw that Jesus Christ is God revealed in human flesh, come to save us from sin and from uh, useless lives and, and that our lives might be lived for the glory of God. So now he moves further into Greece uh, to Corinth. Now, Corinth was a very, very important city in the time of Paul. It was a crossroads, both for trade from north to south and from east to west. Uh, it was therefore a very prosperous place, a very busy place. And in Corinth, there was really a gathering of all kinds of different cultures. As a busy commercial center, it was a highly immoral place. There were many um, uh, temples, of course, to different gods, and some of these would certainly have involved temple prostitution. Now, the basis of that was that, you know, you were worshiping the god by having sex with a temple prostitute. Well, you can understand how that would appeal to the flesh. Uh, and so some of those that were becoming believers in Corinth were being saved out of that kind of background. Um, and you can visit the, um, uh, the ruins of Corinth today as I, as I have, and you can stand uh, where Paul actually would have preached uh, in the marketplace. There was always a raised, like a small raised stone dais where public announcements could be made because, of course, there was no press in those days, no television. So this was where the public announcements would be made and, and if anybody had anything to say, um, they could stand at that, uh, at that place and preach or speak. So Paul left Athens and went to Corinth where he met a Jew called Aquila. He had been born in Pontus and had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla because the Emperor Claudius had decreed that all Jews must leave Rome. Like them, Paul was a tent maker by trade, so he stayed and worked with them. Um, as he could, Paul was always prepared to earn his keep wherever he went. He, he didn't want to sponge on the, on the local believers, although he knew it was right for them to support him in his ministry. Uh, he was always ready to work and support himself until such time that the church was established and could really support him in the gospel. 
You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 